Radio Live. Our show is sponsored by the Living Light Center at Church of Faith and Healing. For anyone interested, Jim and I do personal readings, and if you'd like to have a personal reading, you can call 304-567-3354 or email sandysangeltalk at aol.com. That's S-A-N-D-Y-S-A-N-G-E-L-T-A-L-K at aol.com. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. And today's show is going to be on Jesus Wept. You know, Sandy, it's really funny because um, over the years, I've had prisoners come up to me and, and ask me, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or what one, you know, really sticks out in your mind? Um, which one did you find that emotionally it, it touched you more than, than any other? And that's a hard one because there are so there are so many that you know that I love in the Bible, but I guess what, it, it, it's always the same answer: it's Jesus wept. And you know, it's actually the, the shortest verse in the Bible, and you'll find it in John eleven thirty five, and it's simply Jesus wept. Now you will find a lot of interpretations on what was meant by that, and. Honestly, I have never really found, you know, what I felt was an adequate interpretation, but, you know, it's to each his own. If somebody feels like that it fits, you know, their ideal, well, then, you know, then so be it. Um, but to me, I felt like that he was very close to the individuals that that were 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 by him when he showed up. They had sent word that his very best friend, Lazarus, was ill, and that if Jesus didn't come fast, that they thought that that Lazarus was going to die. And the people that were sent out were sent out by Lazarus's two sisters, um, Mary and Martha. And you'll find them in the New Testament quite a bit. as, as a matter of fact, you'll remember that it was Mary that washed his feet. Um, and Martha got kind of mad at her because, because she was doing all the cooking and getting everything prepared for food. And here's Mary washing Jesus' feet and putting on perfume on them, on them. And she was like, can't you get her to come out here and help me in this kitchen? Well, I think we've all probably heard that before. But, you know, but Jesus said, you always have the poor with you. He said, but... I won't always be here. And she understands that aspect. And I remember, you know, in prayer asking, how could anyone look into the eyes of Jesus and not know who he was? And the answer came back that, you know, most of them followed him for the free food. And I was just, I was just struck. I mean, it was like, of course, everywhere he went, if the people were, were hungry, he would feed them. You know, it's talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, how he fed the 5,000. But I think it was a, a common occurrence. And people got used to it. They wanted the free food. And that was really the, the reason many of them showed up. And I think today we still have a little bit of that problem going on at times. And 
when you look at, at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're probably three of the most, you know, important individuals that Jesus dealt with, um, other than his disciples. But, you know, in this part, he, he hesitated. He didn't come back right away. And the reason for that was very clear, to me anyway, is that sometimes you have to show up where God wants you to show up, when God wants you to show up. And so he knew that the manifestation of God's power was going to have to be shown, and it would be shown in a way that nobody, I guess, would probably expect. Even those who had seen the power of, of God coming through Jesus on a regular basis. And so when he shows up, Lazarus had been, had been dead for basically three days. And, you know, and actually Martha got kind of angry at Jesus. You know, what took you so long? Why did you not come right away? Had you been here, he would, he would still be alive. And Jesus looked at her. And, of course, in the background are the mourners because in those days, you know, you hired people to do the mourning. And so they were crying in the background. And I've never quite understood the purpose of that, you know, except maybe to keep, you know, the, the frequencies or energies low. But, but Jesus wept. Now, again, can you imagine? They saw the power of God come through him on other occasions. They knew what he was capable of. And yet, when he didn't come, because they called right away, and without even a second thought of, you know, of why or that God wanted him at a specific time and at a specific place so that the glory of God could be shown. And it was literally a lack of faith. And that's what was meant, in my estimation or my interpretation, is that Jesus wept at the... At the Individuals who had lost their faith, where was it? Where did it go? How much does it take to lose your faith? And he would never probably, you know, as a man, figure that, you know, those closest to him would, would lose it. I mean, lose, literally lose their faith in what his purpose was in this earth. And yet, I mean, they literally, they literally, you know, and from what I can read in that scripture, they literally chastised them for not coming quicker. And so Jesus wept. And, and he turned and he walked up towards the tomb and he ordered the gentleman who was, or the gentlemen who were in charge of you know, keeping the tombs up and in good shape and all that on the outside, he ordered them to roll away the stone that covered the entrance. And instantly, here again, you have Martha jumping up and saying, no, don't do that, don't do that, Jesus, because, you know, he's been in there three days, and the body has already begun to, you know, to break down. I mean, the smell and the stench that they anticipated, you know, they didn't want. They just figured that would make it worse. And not for a second 
did they remember what they had seen, you know, through the life of, of the man Jesus? I mean, for a second, I mean, I don't, it's hard, but, you know, at one time or another, everybody that was in Jesus' life betrayed him or lost their faith in him. And if you're a spiritual individual, and especially if you're a teacher, you're going to find at times it's difficult because, you know, all of a sudden you find out that, you know, well, are people really, you know, are they supporting your ministry or your, or your teaching? Are they, are they helping? Are they, are they working their faith? You know, faith without works, dead. And sometimes even you'll find people who say, well, I believe in Jesus and that, that'll get me right to heaven. And I don't know. I mean, I understand the aspect of you. Of course, you have to believe in who Jesus was and, and the work he did. But you do that by doing it too. He says, these things I do, you will do and more. And yet, and yet, how many of us do? I mean, are we out there saying those things to people who need it? Are we looking for someone who needs to be lifted up? And it's, it's important, and yet it's one of the things that, you know, of all the things we have to do, that we typically, you know, will put off to the side. Well, I'll, tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll have time tomorrow to do it. And tomorrow becomes the next day and the next day. And it's human nature to put off till tomorrow what we should be doing today. And too often, we believe that everything that needs to be done, we can do. We can do it ourselves. You know, even if we believe in God and believe in Christ, you know, we can, we still will oftentimes take the credit. But you know, that's why you'll find that oftentimes what it is that that comes your way as a blessing will come at the 11th hour. Why? Because if you know it's coming and it's in your mind, those individuals, those beings that are the not-so-shiny light, as the angels like to call them, the not-so-shiny light, they know it too if it's in your mind. And they will put obstacles in front of you specifically to make sure that you're not where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be. And so, you know, at the 11th hour, just you walk it, you take that step out there. Like he told the Israelites when they were, you know, at the shores of the Red Sea. And over the hill was coming the chariots of the Egyptian pharaoh and, and all the, the warriors behind them. And they said, what do we do? God, we, you know, you, you brought us this far. What are we supposed to do now? And he said, why are you calling on me? And God said, just step forward. Now, to them, it didn't make sense. You know, they had to have that answer from God. And yet, there they were. They had come through all the plagues that pharaohs and all the Egyptians had had, had to endure. And they were let go, actually pushed out of Egypt, you know, with more gold than anybody could imagine just because they didn't want them around anymore. And they were free of the slavery and the bondage. And here they are, standing at the edge of the Red Sea. And the idea of what God responded with, and many people don't really understand that. I mean, why would God say something like that? I mean, it doesn't sound like a, you know, a loving God. Yes, it's exactly what it was. 
he wanted them to be, begin to realize, if they hadn't already, that they were blessed, that they had the power to do whatever it was they needed. You know, God had given them that power. And what was the answer? Step forward. And when one of them did, a strong wind came, and it began to push the water back. And they were able to cross the Red Sea to the other side without, without being overrun by the Pharaoh and his agents or his warriors. And that's the way faith works. You won't always be able to see even that there's not, you know, 10 foot of water, but you don't know that it's not an inch either. And so you've got to trust. And it's one of the hardest things that we may, you know, on a daily basis, as a matter of fact, have to begin to expect that I cannot do it on my own. Jesus is the one through whom all extremes are met. And if you've got arguments with other people, Jesus is the one in the middle that both should come to because he links the two together like two circles, and you can't link two circles without a third. And Jesus is the one who knows everybody's heart. He can see it. He has the answers. But he wants you to know the power of God and the power of God in your life and the blessings that God has for you. And we will never, never reach that, part, that point unless we begin to take steps, unless we begin to step out there into the water, unless we begin to acknowledge, I can't do this on my own. And, and you promised that all I had to do was call upon you and you'd be there. And I can honestly say that never has there been a time that I have called on, on the Christ and or the Father, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit, that they haven't been there. Always. And an answer will come. It's a promise. And we're not talking about a friend down the street, you know, who sometimes will tell you they're going to do something, and they don't. That's not the way God works. And these are promises. Get to know the promises. You'll find a lot in the book of Acts of the things that Jesus did. And begin to do them. Look for them. Ask for them. You go into a large store, you know, look around and offer yourself if someone there needs, needs to feel the love of God. And every time I've ever done that, it may only be one individual, but I've been standing in line before and, you know, and I would say something about, Is, that's your daughter there, ma'am? And... She'd say, well, yeah. I'd say, that she has the prettiest red hair. And she said, oh, my God, I cannot believe that this happened in the, in the checkout line. And, you know, she had the daughter come over because the daughter was so depressed because she thought by having red hair that she'd never be able to get a boy that would like her. <laughs> and it's like, you know, she had the prettiest red hair and blue eyes. And I looked at her and I said, see, see, the, see the girl behind me? That's my wife. And her hair was bright red when she was young and blue-eyed. And I can tell you right now that it has nothing to do with it, except that you're just 2% of 2% of the entire population. But that should make you feel good. And 
you know, you're going to do great things in your life, I told her. And you could see her, her eyes just lit up. And she, you could tell she believed it. She, she needed to hear it, though. She didn't want to hear it from her mother, didn't want to hear it from her father, you know, and, you know, or anybody too close to her because she figured they were just trying to placate her. And so sometimes you, you, if you offer your, of yourself to the opportunities, it may be a little opportunity, but you know what? They're not little to God. And we have to also know that we are to become like a little child. And what is a little child? A little child, it says in the Bible, you know, he must be as a little child if you would likewise enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, I ask people, I say, do you play? Well, play, play, play what? I mean, I, I, I play an instrument once in a while. No, play. Do you allow yourself to literally just play? You know, not allow the seriousness all around you to, to gain a hold on you. And when you can do that, you will find it. Becoming a little child. If you're not as a little child, you don't have a need for a mother or a father. And for God, the father, and, you know, and the mother aspect also, to take up your life, you have to become as a little child. That's how Jesus was recognized, by the fact that his father. And when we accept Jesus, and we become the bride and the bridegroom with him, it, it brings an acceptance by the Holy Spirit that we are, we are really, truly trying to do the best that we can. And that is all it takes. But it takes the walk. It takes the step. You cannot sit back. Um, you have to remember, if you can that God is not limited by our present circumstances. And too often we, we allow that to affect what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And we cannot continue to do that. Our birthright is to be and to do great things. If you are alive on this planet right now, trust me, God has a plan for your life. I've had people come up and they say, oh, you know, I can't pay the rent this month. I can't, you know, can't fix this shoulder and the dog's on welfare. The idea here is, is that you have to remember God is not limited by any circumstances around you. But the opportunity to be able to manifest the true power of God in where you are walking, where you are standing at any given time is the whole idea behind it. And... If we can just do that, if we can figure a way to do that. And so when Jesus stood in front of that tomb and they rolled the stone back, he lifted up his hand and he said, Father, I know you hear me. He said, but I'm doing it out loud so that those around will know the power of God in any situation. And he he yelled, Lazarus, come forth. And at the doorway of that tomb was a man who was wrapped in the cloth that he was wrapped in when he died. And how often would we be able to accept that? You know, the thing was, though, is that 
they had seen Jesus perform miracles, big miracles, and little ones, but they had seen the power. But in their own lives, they just weren't willing, they, they just couldn't accept that they had to lose them, lose Lazarus. And they didn't lose them, but they gave the opportunity, truly, for, for God to become, become manifested before all of them. You know, as I look out upon the faces of those gathered, I see in the eyes of the young that hope of things to come, all those experiences only yet imagined. In the eyes of the parents and the family members, a wish that you will grow up to be happy and possibly to do great things in your life. Yet, I tell you, the promises of God that we are destined for great things is not reserved for the young alone. We are reminded in the scriptures that we are to become as the little child ourselves. To remember a time when we as children had the hope, that expectation of the great things that we would experience as life went by. In Isaiah, we are given. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. God gives the power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run, and they will not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Every moment of every day, when we can walk in the expectation of God's blessings, there is no limit to what God can do and to what how God can lift you for a purpose. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. Greatness is your birthright. As a child of the Most High God, you were born into royalty. Whatever your present situation, remember, God is not limited by your circumstances. God is not the God of barely enough, nor is God the God of too little, but God is the God of overflowing. The Divine Father, Mother, God seeks to manifest through their Divine Child, us, great things. In November of 2000, I was traveling in Africa for a water project that Sandy and I sponsored, a clean water project, a humanitarian clean water project in West Africa. And I was in the, the country of Cote d'Ivoire, or Ivory Coast, and one evening we had to take our interpreter um, back to her home because we were working rather late, and so we decided to drive her there. We took her back um, and entered into what was, I'll term, a shanty town. This little shanty town, it had little shacks that were barely held together. There was no running water. There were no bathrooms. There was no kitchen. As we pulled up in front of the the little hut where she lived, she got out. I walked over with her to the door. She opened the door. As I looked inside, there was nothing but a mattress on the floor. And on the mattress was this baby. Standing beside the baby was the mother. The interpreter that we had was the aunt of the baby. As I looked at the baby, it was just incredible. The baby was four months old. I asked the mother, can I hold the baby? 
and she said, well, the baby doesn't allow anyone to hold it. It just screams and cries, and, and it doesn't like to be held, except, of course, by the mother. And I asked, well, could I try? She said, well, go ahead. So I picked up the baby. When I did, the baby's forehead and my forehead leaned forward, and our third eyes touched. We held that place for just a few seconds, and then as we pulled away, when I looked into the baby's eyes, it was like looking into the nighttime sky as far as you could see. It was like there wasn't any limit within this, this child. As I noticed and held the baby, there was what looked like a rope around the right ankle, and it came to, a, to the front, and it had what looked like a little knot in it, but it, it actually wasn't a rope. It was a birthmark. I also noticed that the baby had the location at the stomach area of two umbilical cords. The baby was just incredible. I mean, the energies of this baby were incredible. And so I walked a little bit and held the baby, and then um, a crowd started to gather outside, and I wasn't sure why, but they were. And so I handed the baby back to the mother. I told her what I thought the markings that were on the baby meant, and she said, well, that's what the elders of our village told us when the baby was born. And so I thanked her for letting me hold the baby, and I left. Went back to the hotel where I was staying, and it was about an hour or two later, the phone rings, and on the phone is the protocol chief for the vice president of Liberia. It had seemed that the vice president of Liberia, which was in the waning days of a civil war, had come to Ivory Coast and was staying in a hotel in downtown Abidjan, and he had rented out the whole hotel. The protocol chief asked if I would be willing to meet with the vice president of Liberia, the Honorable Moses LeBlanc, the very next day. And I learned a long time ago that when God moves, that you choose to be chosen. And so, and so the next morning I showed up at the hotel, went through security, went through, met with the protocol chief, met with the chief of staff and a couple of other aides, and then I was led into this, this fairly large room, and um, as I moved across the room, there was a round table, and on one side, the protocol chief, the other side was the chief of staff for the vice president of Liberia. Behind me was the gentleman that I was traveling with, and then the chair that I would be sitting in. And in front of that, um, to my left, was the empty chair. All of a sudden, the, the door opens up at the end of the room, and in walks the vice president of Liberia, again, Moses LeBlanc, a commanding man. You knew you were in the presence of a vice president. As he walks across the room, I stand up. He walks over to where I am, and we shake hands, and... Then we both, and everybody, sets down. He begins to tell me that he is in, in that city and in that country for medical test. It gave me the opportunity because he knew that part of one of the reasons I was there was for spiritual purpose. So it gave me the opportunity to then give, so to speak, a channeled reading. I told him that I thought that, that the medical issues that he was seeking um, more information about, that they would come out okay, the tests would be okay. I also told him that there would come a time in the future when he would assume the presidency of Liberia through peaceful means, and again, keeping in mind that 
that that country was in the waning days of a civil war, a very terrible civil war. And I told him that it would be through peaceful means. And not only that, it would usher in the ability for the first woman president to ever be elected to the presidency in a West African country. All of those things eventually did come. But as we talked, at the other end of the room, the door opens up. In walks the mother with the baby, the same baby that I'd held the night before. She walks across the room and she hands me the baby. I take the baby and place it on my knee. You can tell the vice president is looking at the baby and me, and I still have no clue as to what the connection is. What is the connection between this baby, the mother, the vice president, and all that has occurred to bring, to bring me to that point in that time where I couldn't even imagine the ability for all of this to occur. But with the vice president, all of a sudden, the phone rings. Um, protocol chief whispers in his ear. He stands up. I stand up. He walks over, and he begins to talk on the phone. You can tell that he's talking with the president of Liberia, um, Charles Taylor, who eventually abdicated from uh, that country and went into exile. And, of course, Moses Lavla assumed the presidency at that point. And you can tell that they're discussing the baby, which is still a mystery as to how this is all connected. So they talk for a little while, and then he hangs up the phone. The vice president walks back over. I stand up, baby in my arms, and we all sit back down. We continue to talk, and we talk of some of the needs of, of Liberia. Um, one of the problems they have is they have four growing seasons, but, but oftentimes the food rots on the ground because they do not have an electrical grid system that will allow for them to, to um, create storage for fruits and vegetables, cold storage that would allow for them to be utilized at a later date. So they literally go bad on the ground. So we talked a little bit about wind power and how wind power could be utilized because there's a lot of wind on the coast of Liberia, and wind power could be used literally to, um, to create small electrical power, small units of electrical power, enough to be able to... Um, to power cold storage units. And these could be set up anywhere and, you know, literally wind power for each and every one. And you wouldn't need to, to have a grid system that you just don't find even in many other West African countries. So we talked about this for a little while. And, and he pulls out his business card. He writes his cell phone number on the back, his direct numbers on the back, and he hands it to me, and he says, if you choose to do anything in my country, including you know, business of any type, he said, you call me and you tell me what it is you want to do, and I will call the minister in charge of it, and I will say, do it. That's the only red tape, he said, that you have to go through for whatever it is that you want to do in my country. Again, he looks at the baby, he looks at me, he stands up, I stand up, and he leaves the room. As I exit the room, I look down the hallway, and there is the mother of the baby. So, of course, you know, I make a beeline to where she is, and I look at her, and I said, okay, tell me about the baby. 
and she kind of smiles, and she says, well, she said, the baby is Liberian. She said, the things you told me, the right ankle with what looks like the rope, she said, she goes, you're correct in what you had said. That is a birthmark that represents truth and justice. The two umbilical cords, it's believed that the baby embodies both masculine and feminine, like an androgynous. The baby is the cousin to the vice president. The baby was also the cousin to the former vice president of Liberia. It is believed that this baby represents truth and justice for the continent of Africa and that there will come a time when this baby will rise in, in fame like a, like a toucan common. Um, and they believe that the child will represent, you know, truth and justice, anchoring it into, literally, the, the continent of Africa, and that, that this child will become world-renowned. And yet, they were hiding this baby in this slum when this individual, me, happened to stumble upon him. The vice president certainly was interested to see that I could hold the baby because it was well known that the baby wouldn't let anyone hold it. And it doesn't account for, I'm someone special. It accounts for, God was involved in the timing of the intersection of the life of that baby and myself. And even, you know, the vice president and some others. Now, I have no doubt that once I left Ivory Coast, that they more than likely moved that baby to a different location um, for, again, for its safety. And again, that has been, you know, 15 years ago, and that baby is probably now at an age, because it was four months old then, is now at an age where I think that very soon on the political stage we shall see the emergence of this child as a young adult. And, you know, I can only hope that there will come a time again, because I've never seen the baby since then, although while I was there I spent a few days with that baby. Since leaving Ivory Coast, I have not, um, I have not seen that child again. I share with you this experience so that you will know that when you are open to God's blessings without any preconceived notion of what the blessing should look like, then there are no limitations to what God can accomplish in and through you. Now, no doubt, human nature is to take at least a little bit of credit for, for anything that we create through us for good. Therefore, God will seldom give you plenty of notice before the blessing occurs. Keep in mind, anything that exists within your conscious mind can be accessed by the not-so-shiny light. So obstacles will then be placed in your path. This is why oftentimes it is the what I would call the 11th hour before we actually are placed into the situation. And then you know that it is the hand of God. There is nothing I could have done that would have brought about the blessing of having been able to have spent that moment with the baby, to have been able to set in front of the vice president of Liberia while the president was even on the phone. That blessing occurred almost instantaneous out of nowhere. 
you know when the hand of God is involved. And I know that my higher self was seated within me. When spirit takes up your life, there are no limitations. There is nothing that is too great for the blessings of God in your life. Remember who you are. And if that is difficult at times, simply remember, if you trust your Father, Mother, God, patiently awaits the chance to remind you of your divine heritage. So keep praying, keep hoping, keep expecting, keep helping each other. And God's blessings will manifest in your life. Well, thank you, Jim, for sharing that uh, message with us. That was really good. And, you know, that's one of those those times where, you know, it just, it rolled on its own once it started. And we've had a lot of experiences along those lines, but we've also had the little ones. And the little ones sometimes, you know, are just as exciting, just as purposeful. I mean, if you can change the life of somebody who is down, who is depressed, who is, you know, not doing well, if you can just lift them up, I mean, you have no idea, and you ask God to take it from there. You have no idea, you know, what can possibly occur that you may never know. You may never be able to see the goodness, you know, the blessings that come out of the little things that you do, but sometimes it's the little things that we have to be aware of, too. Yes, it is. Well, let me share... Share a message with everyone from from the beings of light, okay? Each day, there are seeds of truth that are planted on your path, some by spiritual beings, angels, guides, masters, and some by physical people, teachers, friends, ministers. And if you are open to receiving the spiritual messages to help you grow and understand better your soul's path, then be open to hearing the messages and not so quick to dismiss those things you do not fully understand. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God is being given to you. These seeds that are being planted on your path are the words of God. And as you walk your path, you are receiving the messages that are meant to help and advance you spiritually. Allow them to lift you in consciousness and embody them so that you can experience their blessings. Wouldn't you like to feel at peace in your heart and mind? Release the stress and anxiety that can build up inside of yourself and allow yourself to trust God and feel the calming, loving energy of His. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill your soul and bless you with its glory. Know you are not meant to carry so much heaviness in life. So allow yourself to let God lift this weight from your shoulders. Jesus came to teach us and understand the implications of His call and recognize the sacrifices to contemplate the truths he taught and to grow in faith, and then we can begin to help others. 
For as we grow spiritually, our light within gets brighter, and we are recognized by our light we share with others. No, no matter how much you give, you can never outgive God. And blessings to you. All right, well, let me share with you a few other things here. What is really happening? What is the source of all life? How can we feel secure? What is the source of, of our healing and all we have in supplies? What is the real source of any meaningful relationship we have had or have? The answer to all these questions is the living spirit of God. Without this, we are without hope. When we are facing problems, feeling ill, and don't know where to turn, the answer is not to be found so much in an external solution to our problems as it is in an internal one. Each of us should take an inventory in our own heart and mind of where we put our trust. Where do we have a sense that there is something secure It all boils down to putting our trust in God. If we are counting on our retirement or Social Security or investments, then that God is going to fail you. If we are counting on medical science for our health, then we are going to be tested there, and that God is going to fail us. We could be tested on groups we belong to, organizations. So each of us will be tested specifically in those places where we have placed our trust. Our trust needs to be with God and the Holy Spirit. This gives you access to the source of life, light, love, and healing. We may look at life and say, I don't want these changes to happen. They seem so devastating. So we pray to God to change the outcome. Since from our perspective, it would seem appropriate to do this. But God sees all things and knows all the outcome of a situation. Maybe what would be best to say is, let that be in the Lord's hands. He knows that of which we are in need of. It may truly be said that these are some things that we need to meet in the right spirit and in the silence rather than in trying to change a situation or to intervene and prevent a change from occurring. We are inclined to step into an undesirable situation and try to do something about it. But remember the serenity prayer, which says, God grant one the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Most times, it is difficult to accept the notion that Some things cannot be changed. When we consider the prophecies of changes in times of crisis, we will ask, what do we do about it? In Psalms, the instructions given is, be still and know. It still comes back to where do we put our trust? Is it in our ability to manipulate things? Or do we put it in God? For we know There is only one force at work in the universe, a good force. And knowing it is working for good in the lives of us all 
and knowing that the challenges we will face as a person, a group, or a nation are going to invoke extraordinary fear, anxiety, panic, and hysteria unless we learn to practice the stillness. There is little time left to practice the stillness, but for how long, we do not know exactly. Then the economic challenges, earth changes, and even pain in the body increases. It is important to practice meditation and to be aware of God and the Holy Spirit's presence. Why be still? Because only within do we find the manifestation of God in our own inner awareness. The spiritual quest is not to be a mountain with many paths up to the top. There is only one way to God, and that is through meeting the spirit within our own inner self. The divine must be manifested in the consciousness and then applied in each of our lives. There is only one way. It is God or the divine, the living spirit flowing through us in our lives, our consciousness, and then we apply it in whatever manner possible. In meditation, we apply it by becoming aware of the presence of spirit and feeling the flow of spirit through us. Do not get caught up in worrying about the process of meditation, but rather concern yourself with the awareness of God or spirit by inviting and experiencing that presence. Have the sense of confidence that the power of God will affect change in your life. Just know there are many techniques of meditation, and one can be just as good as another. What is important is that you meditate, because in the meditation is where you will find our oneness with God. When we are attuned to this energy, we can feel the love and unity of all things, a feeling that we are not alone, a knowing that we are being guided on our path and our purpose becomes more clear. Our mind is the builder, and the mind is always involved in meditation. The mind is at work in everyday meditations as well as in deep meditation. The mind is working all the time. It is building what we supply to our bodies and what we prepare for our souls. Meditation is a very special case of mind as the builder because when we are still and quiet, there is more energy and more transformation. Meditation, as it builds, is a memorization process. The emotions, motivations, and experiences dwelt upon in that state are more deeply memorized. What we think we become, what we think during meditation, we become more surely. The thoughts being held during an hour of meditation affect us differently in quantity, but not in quality, from those being held in an hour during the rest of the day. In this hour, we establish a direction for the mind and retain the awareness of his presence. Then... During the rest of the day, we may remain centered in our awareness of God. What we do with the mind is a special significance in the outcome of meditation. The essential consideration is the relationship between the practice of meditation and the desired results. 
many people try to meditate because they do not have, you know, beautiful experiences. They think their efforts are in vain. No effort in meditation is in vain. The point of meditation is to enhance the quality and direction of our soul's growth in our everyday lives. In the Edgar Cayce readings, it is said, if you only meditate for 15 minutes, you can do away with the 10,000 aeons and a 1,000 births. That's a lot. At another place, it states, one must not content oneself with small demands, but must rise to be the thought that all living creatures have to be redeemed. So we should not be content just to have a high experience during those 15 to 20 minutes of meditation. But we should measure our meditation by the, by the changes occurring in our lives throughout the months and years. The real working quality of meditation is the transformation that takes place at an unconscious level. It is not the ego fantasies for a few minutes of high experience within our body. We must strive for the higher self-awareness. When this happens, there is not a question we can ask that cannot be answered from within when we are in attunement. Sometimes, even when we get answers, we may not feel confident enough about the answer and tend to want to get an outside source to answer it for us. This is human nature. But we must begin trusting God and ourselves. Remember, every question we have, if we turn to God, there is no question too great or too small to bring to the throne within. It is a promise of which we may be sure. We must learn to work with our own higher inner voice to direct us. The Edgar Cayce readings inform us that through pain, suffering, and disillusionment, we will eventually learn that our will really is the same as God's will and that his will for us is really our best choice. The conscious mind is convinced that it is the final arbiter and the source of our creativity. This aspect of the mind is always misleading us with its reason, intellect, and bias in meditation. We must be fearless because fear and meditation are incompatible. At every turn of doubt, we must respond immediately. Be not afraid. It is I, knowing that the I is his promise. Lo, I am with you always, Matthew 28, 20. We can apply this awareness to every challenge in our lives. Every challenge can be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. If we sense that the challenge is an opportunity for soul's growth, then we can see the divine workings in our lives and with assurance feel, be not afraid, it is I, since it is he who presents himself to us in that opportunity. If we do not have this attitude, then each experience becomes a stumbling block. This lifetime, we have a special opportunity to learn and experience more deeply the true meaning of the life and workings of Jesus of Nazareth. With the times of testing upon us, we must practice the words, be still and know that I am God. Then we may have the awareness of his presence, his friendship, his fellowship, and we may claim his promises that he will not leave us comfortless, that he is with us always 
and that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. In Psalms 46, it says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and, and, through the, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the streams thereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early, the heathens raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolation he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. He cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted above the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. One of the most comforting and strengthening passages in the Bible is found in Isaiah. Fear not, for I am with you. Know that the omnipotence is around you as a shield of, of security. Fear cannot exist when we come into grips with reality, there is nothing to fear. The awareness that there is nothing to fear shows that somewhere in your mind, though not necessarily in a place you recognize as yet, you have remembered God and let his strength take the place of your weakness. The instant you are willing to do this, there is indeed nothing to fear. The 91st Psalm is an ideal meditation to help you replace fear with confidence. Ponder these passages with deep feeling. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He may my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the flower and from the, the newsome pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers and under His wings shall thou Thou trust, his trust shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at the side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. And, and you know, Sandy... One of <clears throat> one of my favorite scriptures too is when you know the truth, the truth shall indeed set you free. And what is it that it will set you free from? Yourself, exactly. because we are typically our own worst enemy. <laughs> this is very true. But we want to thank all of you for joining us at this radio show, and. We hope that you will join us once again in two weeks when we return. Absolutely. And if you want to give us a call, 304-567-3355 or 
Either one will get you through. Um, and Sandy's Angel Talk at AOL.com um, is a good email. Um, we'd like to hear from you. So, you know, give us a call or, or send us an email. And if you have any questions, we'd be glad, more than glad to, to answer them for you if, if we can. And God bless.